I want to tell you that I had a good trip. Spent almost three weeks, or maybe three weeks. You got to spend time with my uh, my two daughters, three daughters, three daughters, a daughter-in-law, a son, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So it was great. It was enjoyable. We were able to help them out some, and I really enjoyed that. As for my son, many have asked how he's doing. Uh, he has stage 4 cancer. I believe it's something with lung cancer, but it's uh, got spots in his brain, on his leg, in his lung, and I don't know where else, because they won't, not too many people will tell me everything that's going on. I guess they, they know that I'm a worrywart, and, it, and I'm very emotional. So, But anyway, he's getting chemotherapy. He's had radiation doing chemotherapy now. Now, for what maybe God would like us to know, well, at least what I would like to know. I gave a sermon a few months back, I guess it was, uh, on uh, what will you, what are you willing to die for? Remember, and I gave three points uh, of things that would keep you from dying. Well, today I'm going to go to point two. So, if you want to title it is. What are you willing to die for, dash, part two, you and me, Lord? I know it sounds strange, but maybe we'll get to it. If you, uh, if you look, you turn to Matthew 26. We'll start with Matthew 26. Let me get my Bible because I wanted to start a little sooner than I I write these things out to where I can read them. Matthew 26, I'm going to start in verse 31. Matthew 26, 31. Let me get to Matthew 26. Okay. 31. And uh, she then said Emmanuel unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written... I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall scatter abroad. So Christ was telling them that I'm going to die. And all of you are going to go someplace else. Because you don't... It's already prophesied that way. Verse 20, uh, 32. But after I am raised again, I will go before you into Galilee. So He told them ahead of time, I'm going to they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. But I'm going to be back alive again because I'm going to, meet, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. Peter then. And we know Peter was a forward person. He, he jumped right into it. And I believe Peter really believed what he was saying right here. I thought it was in his heart that he thought he could do this. And Peter answered and said in verse 33, unto, unto Christ, unto Emmanuel, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. The word never right there. I looked that up. It's 3763 in Strong's. And it means not even at any time. So when, when Peter said, I won't, yet will I never be offended. He said, at no, no, even at any time, not at and also it could be never at at all. So Paul was, or Peter was saying to Christ, "That's not going to happen. 
He's saying, I will never be offended with you. He pinpointed that down. In one of the other translations, easy to read, it says, Peter answered, all of all the other fellows may lose their faith in you, but my faith will never be shaken. But we know that he didn't wasn't able to keep that. In another translation says, But Peter told Emmanuel, Even if everyone else turns against you, I certainly won't. What happened? Denied him three times. But Peter believed, he really felt that he would never forsake Christ. I think in his mind. But then we can go to Jeremiah 17.9 and it says the heart is deceitful. Peter didn't recognize the fact that he had a deceitful heart too. The heart is deceitful. He could deceive himself in thinking he's not going to do this. Above all things, and desperately wicked. That's who we are as people. So Peter said, I won't deny you. But he did three times. He denied Christ before Christ was crucified. We have to sometimes think that of ourselves. Can and will we deny Christ? We can say that. No, I'm not going to. Hey, it's me and Christ. That's what we think many times. But that's not the case. And though I should die, so Peter said, though I should die with you, I will not deny you. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Because here's an example where, again, people have had uh, months of seeing God's intervention in their life. They were brought to a place in their life between two rocks and two hard places. And they were ready to give up. And God opened the way. They went through the sea. They turned around and watched their enemy die. So here they are in chapter 19 of Exodus, verse 7. And Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before their face all the words which the Lord had commanded him. So Moses came down from the mountain. He gave them what God has told him to tell them. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words to the Lord. Did they do it? They, they witnessed this. They lived through a, a time when they seen a lot of things happen. Moses gave them God's Word and they said, we're going to do it. Did they? Their heart, just like everybody else's, is deceitful. They said, yes, it's me, Lord. Uh, we're with you, Lord. But they weren't. These people had one thing in mind. The physical they wanted the physical blessings, but they didn't have the spiritual backing. So, yes, they could say, we'll do it because we want what God can give us physically. How about you and me? What do we think? Will you lay down your life for Christ's sake? It's a question to ask yourself. Am I ready to lay my life down for Christ? I gave you those three points. Maybe go back and look them up. Uh, it's easy to find and make excuses. 
it's easy to uh, get all tangled up in other things, but are you ready to lay your life down for Christ? Christ asked that of us, just like He asked that of Peter and James and John, asked that of the, the nation of Israel. But are we, are you, am I, and I asked that myself this morning, am I ready to lay my life down for Christ? And I say, yeah, I would do that. Just me and you, Christ. Or is it? In Second Timothy, turn there. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. And verse 12. Am I ready to? And am I willing? Am I at that point in my life that I can say, I will lay my life down for Christ? Second Timothy 2 verse 12. If we suffer, we shall reign with Him. So if we go through and we, we take the punishment or whatever it is, Christ said we'll reign with Him. But if we deny Christ, if we deny our Father, He also will deny us. So if we make a statement that says, hey, I'm going to die with you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to do everything your way, but if we get caught in a, in a bad situation, are we going to say, well, maybe... Um, uh, I know maybe I'm not a part of God's church or God's way of life or whatever. Are we denying Christ? And will He deny us? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Peter said, I will go all the way, and yet he denied Him three times. And God, because Peter hadn't was not converted, so... When the time came on Pentecost, he was converted and God used him. We don't always have that same option. We're right now at a point in our life where God is judging the church. And the way you live your life is important because it might not have a second chance. Second, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Sometimes we get in our mind is, hey, I am here. I am with Christ. In my mind, I do these things. And yet, in Second, in First Corinthians ten verse twelve says, "Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he falls." Sometimes we think, yes, I'm going to die for Christ. I will never deny Christ. But we need to take, we need to stand and, and really. Spend the time in our minds thinking, yes, I've got to do this. Or, or do we just do our daily activities and, and just say, yes, I say that. That's out of my mouth. How about a friend? Could you or are you ready and willing to even give your life for a friend? Would you? Would you take beatings for your friends? I have two examples um, just to make a point. Two examples. The first is that of Moses. An example that he shows in his life that he was willing to die for his people. Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32 beginning verse 30. Exodus 32 30. Moses is going to show that he 
is willing to die for his family, his friends. Exodus 32, verse 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure. I shall make an atonement for your sin. These people, while he was up there getting the Ten Commandments, God was writing them on a stone. He come down, and they had totally... (coughs) Excuse me. They had totally forgot God. So he said, I'll go up there and make an atonement for you. Christ is our atonement. He paid the price for our sins. So here, Moses said, I'm going to make an atonement for you. So Moses returned to the Eternal and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made gods of gold. So he put it back to God. He said, look, I've gone down there. I've seen what they did. They have made gods and they were doing a lot of things wrong. And yet, Moses went up to God to make an atonement for God. And in verse 32, Yet now, if you will forgive their sins. So he said to God, Look, if you'll forgive their sins, but and if not. So if you won't forgive their sins, he said, Take my life. Blot me, I pray you, out of the book which you have written. He was willing to give up eternity for His people. Showing that He loved God enough to sacrifice Himself for all the people. Are you and can you and will you be willing to do that for your friends, your neighbors, for Christ, for God? Can you go up and say, Hey, I'll give my life for these people. I'll I'll be the atonement. No, we can't do that, can we? Only Christ, because only Christ was totally righteous. Example two is Paul. In Romans 9, verse 3, Paul, speaking to his family, speaking to the people, in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, Romans 9, verse 3, For I, Paul said, for I would wish that myself were accursed. When he says accursed, he means taken out eternally. I will give up eternity. I would be accursed of Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's a big statement to make. He's willing to die for his family. And that's a very important point. How could Moses and Paul do this? How would they have that ability or that love? What was in them? What made them capable of doing that? First point. The very thing that made it possible that these two men... And you can go into uh, Hebrews 11... Many other people had the same thoughts. The very first point then is you must have a very close personal relationship with Christ and the Father. 
If you do not have that relationship that Paul had, Peter had, James, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they had a very close personal relationship with God. They could say, it's me and God. It's me and Christ. I'm with you. I do your things. Christ Himself said, I of myself can do nothing. The personal relationship that Christ had said, what I do, Christ said, what I do is what the Father tells me. That's how close the relationship that Christ had. And that's what He wants from us. God even tells us that that relationship with Moses was so close that He said, I speak to uh, prophets and other people in dreams and in visions, but my relationship with Moses is I will speak to Moses face to face. Now that is a very personal relationship. That, that they were so close. John chapter 15. And that's the kind of relationship that the Father wants with us. That He can, he can talk to us. We will listen. He will show us. We, he wants to have that relationship with us. John chapter 15, verse 14. Christ speaking to the people and speaking to the church. His final speaking prior to being taken into captivity. John 15, verse 14. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. So that's how we have that personal relationship. We do what God tells us to do. And he says in verse 15, Henceforth, I call you not a servant. I'm not going to call you servants anymore. For a servant knows not what the Lord does. You know, you have a servant. You have an, you're an employee of a, of a company or a place. They don't tell you everything that's on their mind and how what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. They just tell you to do it. And he goes on that you're not going to call them servants. But I have called you friends. And God calls each one of us friends. For all things that I have heard of the Father I made known unto you. God is making known things that He wants us to do through sermons, through studying the Bible, through close relationship with Him. A, having a personal relationship. That means every day uh, we're told we should be praying always. You know, God should be on our thoughts and our minds. But too often, what's on our minds? Physical things where we're going to eat next or where we're going to go or what work we've got to do. But is that a relationship with God? Or is our relationship is with God that whatever the Father wants, I will do today. Or I look to God everything. First thing in the morning, I need God. I need His help. I need Him to lead and guide and direct me. So, it's a personal relationship. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 23. James 2 verse 23. 
And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God. Well, Abraham had that close relationship so he could believe God when God talked to him. And it was imputed to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So if we believe God, if we believe what He tells us, if we believe what we're shown, God can call us friends too. But we can't just believe. We've got to go beyond just believing. Proverbs 17.17 says, A friend is always loyal. So if we believe God, then we have to be loyal to God in every way. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in times of need. I'm reading that out of the New uh, Living Translation. So, a true friend, a real friend, is always loyal. You can trust that friend. God wants to trust us. Again in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Again, we're told, and you can just write it down, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. That's important. You can't be a, a loner. If you want to have friends and people and close to you, you have to show yourself friendly. Christ shows Himself friendly to us. So if we want to have friends, we've got to show ourselves friendly. And there is a friend that is closer than a brother. True friends, true friendship is a loyalty. Is a loyalty. There's an example I have here of real loyalty and friendship of man to man. The first is in Samuel 19 and it's of Jonathan who was David's friend. In chapter 1 Samuel 19, 4 through 5. You write that down. It just shows where David was talking to Saul, his father, and he upheld David. He, David was his friend. And to, to emphasize that more in chapter, in 2 Samuel verse 1, verse 26. And again, I'll read this out of the New Living Translation. 2 Samuel 1, verse 26. It states, the loyalty that a true friend has. 26. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Jonathan had just died. David's thoughts of Jonathan, his friends. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Deeper than the love of a woman. So in his case, that loyalty, that love that he had was great. It's the kind of love that we should have with Christ. That it is deeper than any physical emotion, whether husband or wife, children, grandchildren, uh, friends. We need to have that love for Christ that strong that Christ has for us. And He loves us that much. Proverbs 27, verse 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is sweeter 
is as sweet as perfume and incense. So, we have to have a loyalty and a friendship with one another. If we're going to die for somebody, if we're saying, yeah, I, I can do that. I, I can do that. Peter said that. Hey, he said, I will go all the way with you. And yet he denied him three times. See, as people, we don't always have the loyalty that David had, that Jonathan had, that he gave his life for his friend. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, tells us, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Nothing that we do. Don't do these things to get something for yourself. To take advantage or have an advantage over somebody else. says, if we're going to have friends and we're going to die for them, we can't do something for strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. That's hard. It's hard because, hey, I've got all the knowledge or I am great or I've been called to be able to do this or uh, I have this knowledge or I am I am who I am. No. You do it because of love and commitment as a friend. With this kind of relationship, it will not be hard to give your life. If you have that relationship that David and Jonathan had, that Christ had, that Peter, James, and John had, that Moses and Paul had, then it won't be hard to have a relationship and it won't be hard for you to say, not only say, I will give my life, but go beyond saying it. So the first thing that was able to make Moses and Paul and many others, Hebrews 11, to give their life for God was that relationship, a very close personal relationship. And it's, it's sometimes hard to get that close relationship. We want to be closed-minded or closed off. The second point, now only be two points here. The second point is, not only do you have to have a personal relationship with God, but you also have to be committed. I gave a sermon, a couple sermons years ago, on commitment. Commitment or compliance. You either commit or you comply. A lot of times we comply. Uh, we comply with the laws of men. You, and why do you comply with the laws of men? If you speed, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to have to pay a price for it. If you rob somebody, you're going to get put in jail. If you kill somebody, you're going to put be put, put in jail. So we don't do those things because of the penalties. Most of the time, it's, we don't want to suffer. I think it's uh, ludicrous to go out there and drive down a road and give the police several hundred dollars because I was going too fast. And so I don't do it. I try to stay within the law. But on the other hand, uh, we com can we comply with God's law? Just complying with God's law is not enough. We comply with the penalties of man because that's enough because we don't want to get penalized. But can we say, I comply with God's law. I don't have another God. I don't take God's name in vain. I keep the Sabbath. I do all these things. 
I'm a good person. I'm complying with what the law says. I tithe. Uh, I uh, keep the feast days. Uh, I do all these things. But just complying is not enough. You can't comply and have a personal relationship. So you're, already, you're already bucking the first point. You're, you're bucking that personal, complete personal loving relationship that you have with God. Now, we must become completely committed to God. You were baptized. And in baptism, you said, I will follow you all the way. I will give... Basically, you're saying, I will do everything you say and give my life for you. But you can't do that if you're not completely committed to that. You can't do something else. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. You have to be completely committed to God. There can't be two sides. You can't stand on a fence. Like I said, you can't have two sides of the story. You, if the fence is electrified, you'll find out quick. You're going to go one way or the other. And that was the, the third point in the first sermon. You can't straddle the fence. You have to be completely committed to God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. We just can't mouth out these words. We can't say, yes, Lord. The world, Christianity says, just say Christ. That's all it takes. Go to church. Say that's, But that's not all. Christ said you can't get in the kingdom of heaven by saying, Lord, Lord. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. It has to be doing it. You have to completely do it. Another translation, the international uh, translation says, Not everyone that keeps saying to me, not everyone that keeps talking to Christ and saying to Christ, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. But only the person who keeps doing the will of my Father in heaven. You have to continually do it all the time. This is not a, a commandment keeping. It's a way of life. It's a love and commitment to God. Many will say to me, verse 22, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name and in Your name cast out devils and in Your name done many wonderful works? People will say that to Christ. Can we do that? Christ then Christ says, Then I will profess, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's more than just mouthing it. It is being committed to this way of life. It, it is the way you live. It's the way you walk. The way you talk. The way you eat. The friends you make is what it requires. Go to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to begin in verse 8. 
Matthew 25:8. Christ, and the first part of this is talking about the, the bride of Christ. There were ten virgins. They were all church members. They were all going to church all the time. Five of them were wise and they took extra oil. Five of them were foolish. They took what they had, you know. Revelation chapter 3, talking about the lake of the sea in church. I have all that I need. I don't need anything else. I've got... It's you and me, Lord. That's not the answer. Five of them had and took extra. They spent the time. They were committed to doing it God's way. Five of them said, Hey, I do all these things. I, I sit in church services. I hear the sermons. I do these things. And what happened? Verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, that our lamps go out not. How do you give somebody the knowledge that you have, the commitment that you have, the love that you have to somebody else? That's a question to ask. Can I do that? Can I help somebody? I've been asked here to give what knowledge I have to those that uh, are wanting to take over. Well, I can't give them that knowledge. They have to get it themselves. You cannot take somebody's spiritual knowledge and the commitment that they have to God and give it to somebody else. You can't do that. It's just not possible. Verse 9, But the wise answered, saying, not so, lest there not be enough uh, for us and you. Go you therefore and sell and buy and get yourself. So you have the time to do that now. Now is salvation unto the church. Now is the time to, to do this. We can't wait till the last minute. The wise virgins waited till that last minute. And they didn't as their as their spirituality or their love or their commitment or, and all started waning, they wanted somebody to help us out. Help me out. Go to the pastor. Go to a friend. Go to somebody else. Help me. Well, you have the time right now. You can't change momentarily. You have to work on it. So they said, how can, how can we do that? We can't because it won't be enough for us. And you... And so the bride came, or the bridegroom came. And those that were ready, when Christ returns, those that are ready, those that are studying, those that are committed to God, those that have that personal relationship with God, went in to the marriage. Others who thought they were that good, they were, they were trying, they they thought they did everything they needed to, the door was shut. And it says in verse 1, after that, they came, the, the other virgins came. After Christ had brought them in, and came to Christ and said, Lord, open to us. But look what Christ had to say. Truly I say to you, I don't know you. I don't want to be in that position myself. I don't want you to be in that position it's a very scary place to be. You need to think on that. It's very scary to think that 
Christ will shut the door and you can't come in. So you have the time to make those changes. What, what we need to do then, what you need to do, what I need to do then, is to ask myself. I need to sit down and evaluate myself. You know, we, we know just prior to Passover, it says, examine yourself to see where you stand. Well, we need to do that daily. We need to examine ourselves. We need to say, where do I stand in my relationship with God? Is it a very personal relationship or is it a, a casual relationship? You know, we have casual friends. We have people that we like and we visit with. But the ones that we're really close to, that we're very close to, we spend the time with them. That's where our time is spent. So, if we've got a relationship with God, a very personal relationship with God, that's where we're going to spend our time. And we won't have to worry about Christ saying, I don't know who you are. Because we've spent that time with Him. we spent the time in relationship with the Father. Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 13. I want myself, and, and that's what I have to do. I have to ask myself. I want myself, and, I, and I, I put it out to you, you need yourself to think of. Do I want that relationship with God? And am I committed that much to God? Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Then said one unto Christ, Lord, are there few that be saved? So here, the disciples are asking Christ, is it a fact that only a few people are going to be saved? Have you thought about that? Is it only a few, 144,000? And never again? I mean, that's the end of it all? So Christ said to them, you need to strive to enter at the straight gate. There's something you have to do said, you've got to get your nose to the grindstone and you've got to work on it. Strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to do that. From the Good News Bible, it says, try hard, try hard to enter through the narrow door. This is from the Good News Bible. I can guarantee that many will try to get in. Many are going to try to get in, but they won't succeed because they're not committed to the work. And in the international version it says, keep on struggling to enter through that door, narrow door, because I tell you many people will try to enter, but won't be able to do so because they don't have the, the commitment and it's a, that is really a difficult thing to be so committed that nothing else matters more than to be a close relationship with God. That's what requires the most. Luke 13:25, now verse 25. When, one of, when, when once the master of the house has raised up and has shut the door, 
and begins to stand and you begin to stand outside. Once the door shut, you know, you go to somebody's house and they shut the door in your face, you're outside in the cold and they're inside in the warmth. When he shuts the door and you're without and you knock and you knock and say, Lord, Lord, open to us the ten virgins, five wise were in, five foolish were out, and shall answer and say to them, I know you, uh, I know you not. Why are you come here? Who are you? In the Good News Bible it says, when he shuts the door, and he will tell them, I don't know where you come from. So here we are. Are we going to find ourselves at that point when the tribulation starts? And we're going to say, but uh, uh, we want to go to the place of safety too. But are you prepared right now? So Christ can say to you, if you're not putting your heart, your mind, your body, everything into it, totally, completely committed, He can shut the door and He's going to say, I don't know a thing about you because you don't know about me. Verse 26, Then shall you begin to say, but, but Christ, you know, brought this out a little earlier. We're going to say to Christ, uh, we have eaten and drunk in your presence. So we kept the feast. I'm here keeping the feast. I go to Sabbath services and and we have a potluck and I'm there. We eat in your presence. And you have taught us in the streets. But Christ is saying, I tell you, I don't know you whence you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's scary. Think about that. It is very important that we we put our mind and our effort and energy into it. Verse 28, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself are thrust out. It's really telling us that we have a job to do. We can't be uh, temporary Christians or we can't be on both sides of the fence. We can't live in the world and try to live in God's way of life. We can't fudge on on the Ten Commandments. We can't fudge on what it says in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, or Philippians 4, verse 8. We can't fudge on on how we treat each other. Matthew chapter seven, verse fourteen, twelve rather. Matthew chapter seven. Christ speaking to the disciples and to the people. Wherefore, verse twelve, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Do you even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. They call that the golden rule. 
you treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat God the way you want to be treated. He says to us that you should enter the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many be which go therein. It's easy to be in the world. It's easy to live that kind of a life. It's hard to follow Christ. So you need to think about that. I, because verse 14 says, Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few will find it. It's, are you looking for that way of life? I know it's difficult. I had the opportunity to talk to uh, some people, some relatives, and they made that point clear. You cannot convince or convert or change another person's life. It's just something you can't do. Whose life can you change? Can you change your wife or your husband, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your friends, your neighbors? Can you change the way they do things? Sometimes we want to try, but it doesn't help. Nobody can really know your spiritual or your personal relationship with the Father in Christ. Nobody but you. Only you can can know that relationship. You have to evaluate your own relationship, your own growth, your own spiritual growth. You have to to sit down and, and go over it. You know, you hear sermons. Do you just hear the sermons? Or do you try to apply that to you? It's easy to hear a sermon and say, well, that's... That's Nelson, or that's this other person, or that's somebody else. Not me. I've been this, been down this road for many years. It's easy to find fault with another person. But I have to evaluate myself. I can evaluate you, but it doesn't do any good. I can't find fault with another person. I mean, I can find the fault with them, but can I make a difference? No. All I can do is try to set the right example. So I have to sit down and evaluate my life. I have to say with the sermon, am I doing that? Have I gone that way? I've heard a lot of sermons in 50-some in years in the church. I've heard a lot of sermons. And a lot of times, they go right over your head, you know. Because it's the other person. I've had one person tell me, that I, I preached a sermon against him. Well, it wasn't against him. It was just a general sermon or a sermonette at the time. But was it for him or was it for me or was it for everybody? I've heard people say, that sermon that the preacher gave, boy, did that really come down hard on all these people. But I've said, I've heard that sermon and it really has come down hard on me on my relationship. 
Paul was inspired to write in Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. It's a personal relationship. It's how I live my life. And Paul told me in Philippians 2, verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. You know, they obeyed Paul. They were obeying what he said. Not as in his presence only, but how much more in my absence. So sometimes I'm not there. Are you still obeying? Then he goes on and says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is a personal thing that you have to do. It's personally. You have to work it out. You have to study and pray. And when you hear a sermon, go back. Maybe somebody makes a mistake in speaking. Maybe they they didn't get the Scripture quite right. How do you know? You won't know unless you are going back through that same thing and say, okay, the topic here is you and me, Christ. It's will I die for somebody else? Can you take that topic? Will you take that topic and see, well, will I die for somebody else? What are points? Maybe there's some more points that I didn't bring out. That will be more beneficial to you. Well, you won't know that unless you are checking those things out. That's why Paul said, work out your own salvation. You can't work somebody else's out. The, 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 nephew, the uh, nieces that I, I visited with, they're in the uh, Jehovah Witnesses. He pointed that out. I didn't ask him. didn't try to preach to him. He didn't try to preach to me, but he made a point. He said, it's pointless to take and try to spend a lot of time trying to convert your family and your friends because it doesn't work. You're not able to change them. They have to do it themselves. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Can we change another person? No. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse... 24, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Know you not that they which run a race run all? So everybody in a race. You know, we have these marathons that they run. Everybody's running in the race. But one receives the prize. Only one's going to receive the prize. So what do we do? We have to take... So, so run. So you have to put your desire your commitment, your love for God to get out there and really go after it that you may obtain it. You have to do it. Not somebody else. If you slough off in running, you're not going to win. Every man that strives for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it. Most people, most human beings do it to obtain a corruptible crown. That's what most people are doing. Most people, and I've seen this in the church in those 50 years, that people worked at becoming a deacon, worked at becoming an elder, worked at being uh, the song leader, or worked at being the head of the, of the bathroom cleanup crew, or worked at setting the house. They, they, they worked at for a corruptible crown to say, 
He is the guy that can do that. But we are working for an incorruptible crown. So we shouldn't be doing it and striving to get some important point. Verse 27, But I keep under my body. Paul said this. He said, I have to do this. I have to work it in myself. He said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. So whether you're a preacher or you're just a, a person in the church and you have to keep your body in subjection. You have to do that. Paul recognized it. And that is example to us. He preached to other people, but he knew that he had to follow through everything he did. Because he didn't want to be a castaway. If we're just saying, you and me, Lord, and taking your life and doing it, you know, you're caught in the world and caught in church, or you sit in church services and you sing songs and you... Uh, you go by and visit people now and then, and you uh, you pay tithes, and you just do the physical aspect of it. Will you be a castaway? When push comes to shove, like with Peter, when push comes to shove, what did Peter do? I don't know him. I never knew him. I'm not part of that. When when hard point come and you're faced with the reality of yes I will die for you yes I will die for my friend yes I will die for Christ will you when push comes to shove where will you stand Galatians 6 verse 9 6 through 9 Galatians 6 chapter 6 verse 6 through 9 let him that is taught in the words, communicate with him that teaches in all good things. Talk it over with the, the minister. Talk it over with the pastor. Talk it over with your brothers. You know, iron sharpens iron. You know, you help each other, so you talk it. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. For whosoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What are you living? How are you living your life, he's saying? If you're sowing discord, you're going to reap discord. If you're sowing love, you're going to reap love. If you're sowing commitment, you're going to reap commitment. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. For he that sows to his flesh, he says. So if you do things just for a a physical position and I'm sorry I've seen that happen people served in the church of God for physical position and when push came to shove they left and I saw many people who I thought were very spiritual walk away because it was too much shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that sows to the spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you're working at it, you're going to get eternal life. 
what do we do? Sit back and work for some personal blessings and being being the top dog or being right next to the person who you think is most important. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due, t- in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. Sometimes it looks like we're not going to make out. It's just too much. I can't, I can't continue. We give up. With God, you can't give up. You just don't give up. God doesn't like a given upper. He doesn't like somebody that if the push comes to shove, um, they fall away. He doesn't want somebody that will be put in the grave and one in the world. He doesn't want that. One last scripture. Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. Last scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. We can't go back and change what's happened. I poured some milk on the ground the other day. I can't get it back. So Paul says, forget those things that are in the past. The way you used to live your life and stuff. Forget those things. But, and do, reach forth into the things which are in front of you. You have the knowledge to know that if you're a five of the you're with the five virgins that are lacking, you're going to be left out. But you also know if you're with the five virgins that you're building and keeping your vessel and putting extra spiritual knowledge in your vessel, you know if that's the case that you will go in when the door is open. I press toward the mark, Paul said in verse 14, for the prize of the high calling of God in Emmanuel our Christ. So, Paul said, there is a prize. We run that race. We run it to win. Not to lose. We don't just want to be there. We just don't want to be a part of and sit and take in these things. No, we we run for the prize. And God's prize is eternal life and be a part of the bride. Can we say that we will die for Christ? Can you personally say today I will die for Christ no matter what comes down can I say I will not deny him well remember Jeremiah 17 9 the heart is deceitful your human nature is deceitful and desperately wicked unless you have God's spirit you will deny Christ if push comes to shove you find yourself in a place where you at work or uh, in grocery store or in someplace else uh, with relatives, a lot of time with relatives, you'll say, well, I, I, I don't like Christ. I made a mistake. 
in a prayer to when I go to my youngest daughter's house they sit down and they eat together and when I'm there they want prayer and I guess they have prayer too and I said um, in the name of Jesus Christ and my daughter says come on dad you know it's in the name of Emmanuel so did I deny God did I deny that Christ is with me it's easy you can slip pretty easy and it bothered me from that point through even today because I was willing to say Jesus Christ because I didn't want to thinking I was going to offend my son-in-law or my daughter but in fact I did offend them because I, in my mind I was denying Christ so it's easy you can slip up and then you get to go to God and say, Sorry, Dad. Forgive me. I read that prayer of Daniel this morning. Daniel chapter 9. and a Very good prayer. Where Daniel said, We as people, uh, we're confused. Yet you, God, are righteous and have everything in order. It's not enough to just say, I love God. Or it's just not enough to mouth out words that I keep the Sabbath. Or not just enough to come and sit in Sabbath services. It's not enough. It's more. It's being a personal relationship with Christ and the Father. You must have that personal relationship. And you must be committed. You cannot bounce around. You cannot deny God in any way. So I leave you with this thought. Have you evaluated your own spiritual growth? Don't evaluate somebody else. Because Paul said, work out your own salvation Evaluate yourself. Evaluate who you are, the way you think, the way you work, everything that you do. Your relationship with each other, your relationship with people you work with, your relationship with your family that are not converted, your relationship with God and with Christ. So evaluate that. Take the time. Tomorrow is the Sabbath day. I mean, not a Sabbath day. Tomorrow is a fast day. Put that in mind. You take the time in that fast day to evaluate who am I? What do I do? How do I react? What does God think of me? What does Emmanuel look and see in me? I did those sermons on the mirror of life. I did, I think, two sermons on that. What is the mirror of life? This book. Christ, when He was confronted by Satan, said, you have to live by every word of God. We can't pick and choose. We can't justify. We can't uh, find excuses for what we do. So, I leave you with the question, 
Will you and are you and have you evaluated your own personal spiritual relationship and your own growth, spiritual growth, since you've been baptized and for the future? So think on those things tomorrow. Thank you.